Today's passage is Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. And that passage can be found on your pew, on page 7 of the Pew Bible. Hear now the word of the Lord, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit, infallible and inerrant. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord. Mm. I don't know about you guys, but the musical part of our worship ministers to me, and I felt like I was able to worship the Lord especially well. Before I get into the sermon, um, let's pray together. Father, I hold up your word because your word should be held up. This is the breath of life. Your word given to us that we might know you. And Father, as your children, we're banking it all on this and on your promises. You are indeed the Lord Jesus Christ, the only hope for man, Savior of sinners. And like Paul, I think that I am chief of those. Forgive me, I am a sinner. Use me in the power of your Holy Spirit to proclaim your word in this hour. I pray for these that are here that with their minds and with their hearts they would seek to engage you and worship you that you may be made supreme in this hour. I pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I had uh, Robert Moody, if some of y'all don't know Robert, read Uh, or we had him read Genesis 11, 1 through 9, but there also will be a little bit from Genesis 10. And to really understand 11, you need to know a little bit about 10. But if you look right now at Genesis 10 in your Bibles, 
and I would encourage you to do so, you'll see that it's a genealogy, but it's more than that. And so what that means, though, is that it's all these Hebrew names that, for one, I don't think I could ever figure out how to pronounce correctly, and I know I didn't want to ask one of you to do it, and so I've decided that we will talk about 10, but we won't read through that whole list of names. Um, in Genesis chapter 10, it is often referred to as the table of nations. And the reason it is referred to as the table of nations is it is recounting Noah's offspring as they move out and settle in different places. If you have a good study Bible, you would be able probably to look in your study Bible at this part of the Bible and it will show you where the descendants of Noah dispersed to and where they ended up living. What's interesting about that is this. Every, the Bible teaches, and if you believe the Bible and you follow the Lord, you believe this. Every single human being that has ever walked on the face of the earth or is alive today descended from Noah and his descendants. That means that as much as we might think we're different, there's really very, very little difference. Even if we look really different, we are truly from the same people, brothers and sisters. And so I find that very interesting. Now, if you want to understand that in more detail, I think I have a slide that will show you. I have a Genesis commentary that is a scientific commentary done or written by this guy on the board. You see Jonathan's name, his last name. <clears throat> I don't try to pronounce. Um, Sarfarti, Sarfarti, I think is how he says it. But it will give you an explanation of skin color, hair, eyes, all of that, and how that would have happened when we were all dispersed as a table of nations. But it goes, suffice to say, if you believe the Scripture, you believe, ultimately, we're all from the same folks. We are truly family, the human race. Now, lest you think that this chapter 10 is too distant or irrelevant to modern life, here's some of the questions that I ask and I would ask you to ask the text. Where do all the languages in the world come from? Where do all the people groups come from? Are they a result of sin? Is it good or bad that there are separate independent political states that are often in conflict. I don't know if you've watched the news this week, but uh, a lot of conflict. And then personally, what is your own root sin? Like, at the root of your sins, what is the, probably the most significant sin? This text speaks to all of that. The title for this text is the pride of Babel and ours. The pride of Babel and ours. And so in Genesis 10, 
It's unique for several reasons. I'm going to give you four of them briefly. One is, in, in Genesis 10, you begin to see Noah and the descendants spread out into this table of nations going out into the world. The second one is, it's an account that highlights the ethnic makeup of the ancient world. And there's a listing in there of over 70 different ethnic groups that were formed at that time. Third, despite our lack of knowledge about many of the groups listed in the chapter, Genesis 10 underlines the basic premise, the basic fact that Genesis is a historical event. It's not fiction. It's a historical event, and therefore the author, Moses, takes great pains to lay out the different descendants that are coming out of Noah's family. And then fourth and finally, Genesis 10 begins to set up. Where did Abraham come from? Because if you know Genesis, the next several chapters after Genesis 11, as we get into Genesis 12, begins to tell you the story of Abraham the patriarch. And so Genesis 10 sets all of that up. Now, let's turn our attention to Genesis 11, verse 1. Look with me at Genesis 11, verse 1. And this is how it reads in my ESV. <clears throat> now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. The whole earth had one language and the same words. The opening description of the whole earth having one language there in chapter 11 that we just read is a hint to the reader, the careful reader, that the Genesis 11 account, the story of Babel, is in chronological order like this with chapter 10. In other words, chapter 11 is the reason all of those people dispersed. And Moses has a reason, and good reasons, for why he put 10 and then 11, and not 11 and then 10. But it's important to know that they are chronologically like this, not like this. And if you look at Genesis 10, 25, you get a hint of what's going on here. Look at Genesis 10, 25. It says, to Eber, because it's given the genealogies, right? To Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg. For in his day, get this right here, the earth was divided. In Peleg's day, the earth was divided. These are, this is a number of years here. But it's saying in 1025, in Peleg's day is when chapter 11 began to happen. And so his brother's name was Joktan. And that's important to understand the context of this. Right after the flood, if you've been here with us, you know, we, we went through the story of the flood and Noah. God tells Noah in Genesis 9-1, he says, Now, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God wants them to be fruitful. In other words, have children, have families, multiply, and go and fill the earth. And so then chapter 10 comes in. And it says, basically, here's how this is happening. Here's the genealogy. Here's the people that are coming out of it. 
And it looks like obedience on the surface. It wasn't obedience, is what chapter 11 teaches us. They weren't spreading as God had told them. They were indeed actually clustering. And that's what we're seeing in chapter 11, is God says, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. In just a moment, I'm going to show you in verse 4 of chapter 11 why I'm saying they were clustering. But essentially, to kind of give you the overview again, God comes down and he shatters their disobedience and their clustering, and he makes it impossible. He confuses their language, and he breaks them up into groups. God's imposition comes in to separate the languages, and it creates instant barriers. Think about it. It'd be hard to intermarry if you could never speak a language with somebody and you didn't understand what they were saying. And so as their uh, languages are separated, they begin to kind of self-separate. So God has done what they would not do. They were clustering. He decides to come down and frustrate that and separate them. Thus, they move away from each other into different environments and in different geographical places. This ultimately leads to the formation of different ethnicities. If you want to read more about that, again, that, that scientific study of Genesis is there. <clears throat> Look with me now at Genesis 11, 2 through 4. <clears throat> Genesis 11, 2 through 4. And as people migrated from the east... They found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and butumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Let, and here's where I wanted to get to. Look at this last little person part lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth they didn't want to go into all of the world they wanted to cluster and build a city for security purposes and it says there lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth the key statement here is in verse 4 in verse 4 they aim to build a city that's one thing. Second, they aim to build a tower in that city that reaches to the heavens. Third, they aim to make a name for themselves. So they're going to build a city, a tower, and they want to make a name for themselves. And fourth, they aim not to be dispersed over the whole earth, just the opposite of what God has told them. So the first two of these things one and two three and four correspond with the second two the first two correspond with the second two here's how to mean building a city is the way one avoids being dispersed over the whole earth and then building a tower into the heavens is a way one can make a name for oneself 
So the city and the tower are the outward expressions of inward sin. The city and the tower are an outward expression of inward sin. The two sins are one, a love of praise. Let's make a name for ourselves. A love of praise. And the second one is a love for security. God says, go and populate the earth. What do they do? They don't go. They build a city and a tower, and they all come together. And it says over there in verse 4, lest, be, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. You hear fear in that. Let's don't do it. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. There's a fear there. And so the two sins are love of praise and love of security. Now, I, for one, have never struggled with either one of those in any possible way. How about you? <laughs> you see, God's will for human beings is not that we find our joy in being praised, but that we find our joy in knowing and praising Him because He is the only one truly worthy of our praise and he will not let us find our security in a city or a home or a job because if you're his he wants you to find your security in him and him alone and so the human condition with Noah and his family is not a whole lot different than it was with Adam and Eve. They will decide for themselves what is best, and they think they can even rise up to claim the place of God with this tower that they're building. The story of mankind to this very day isn't much different than what we're seeing in Genesis 11 and that's why I say it is not just pride is the sin of Babel pride is the sin of us look at Genesis 11 5 through 8 Genesis 11 5 through 8 this is how it reads and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built and the Lord said behold they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. In other words, they stopped building the city. Now, <clears throat> there's a 10-cent word that I don't necessarily think you need to know, but I'll share it with you, and then I'll quiz you on it next week. The word is anthropomorphism. How about that? That's a mouthful, isn't it? Anthro is man. Anthropomorphism is an attribute that is ascribed to God that is a behavior of man. And what I mean in this is it's like God saying God has hands 
God is a spirit. He doesn't have hands necessarily. God does not have to be in heaven and come down to see their tower. But the scriptures describe it that way because I think Moses, the author of Genesis, is poking the bear. And what I mean by poking the bear is they had not really gotten their tower up into the heavens. God has to stoop down to see their little tower. These people that think that they have it all together and they're taking glory in their building. God is still having to come down to see their massive tower that they have built. God decides at that point he will break them. He will split them up so that they will depend not on their gifts and their talents together working, but on him. And so God breaks them up. It's interesting. One of the gifts that God gives us, you probably don't think about this much, but it's the ability to use language. What other creation of God has the sophistication to communicate with the other being like we do? The gift of language was the very gift God had given them, and they were using that language to make a name for themselves. It'd be no different than a gifted communicator or pastor who was really in it for his own gain. And that's happening all over the country, probably at this very hour. If this were God's primary in terms of being productive, they're building this tower that's supposedly reaching the heavens. If this were God's primary thing in terms of just getting things done and being productive, why would God split them up? It says in the text, they could do almost anything. They would be more productive if God didn't split them up. But here's the catch. And I think one of the things that God wants us to see, as Westerners, we're very busy. And honestly, we take a lot of pride in our busyness because it means we're productive. And being productive means we're successful. And successful means we're somebody. We are significant. God's not near as concerned about our productivity. He breaks them up. Why? so that they would depend on him and not on building a name for themselves through their productivity. We are not essentially human doings. We are human beings. And what we do matters, but it is often misguided, often misguided. You see... Being a workaholic is an, easily, is an easy trap to fall into. We feel better about ourselves when we accomplish a lot. And others give us the clap on the back to say, attaboy, good job, you're really productive, you're significant. Matter of fact, the way our system's set up is if we're really productive, we get the raise. And if we're really productive, we get the promotion. I'm not saying that that is all bad. Follow me. 
Not to mention, you know, we make more money, we get more nice things with our productivity. But follow this. Isn't it possible, especially if you're a young parent or don't have children yet, isn't it possible that children in the United States would be richer emotionally and spiritually and therefore our families fuller if the parents were less trapped by material riches? Could it be? You see, we must walk a fine line. Work is indeed a part of God's design for the universe. But the question you must ask yourself, Christian, is why do I work? Are we neglecting other things so that maybe we can have more material things? Well, let's ask this question. How does the story of the Tower of Babel serve in the greater picture to magnify the glory of Christ? Certainly the story must be for a bigger reason than just to tell us we're evil and prideful. I think so. The first answer that I would give, here are three ways, three ways the story of Babel serves to make much of Christ and his redemptive work of man. Number one, the story of battle is actually, and you wouldn't know this without studying perhaps, it's a foreshadowing of Babylon and Satan in Revelation. So the story that God gives us all the way in the first book of the Bible in Genesis when you get all the way to the last book in the Bible, in Revelation, he reveals that he's doing more at Babel than you thought. And every time I discover these things as a follower of Christ, it solidifies my faith and my conviction in the Word of God. Because I'm like, God did, he set all that up all the way back here thousands of years before this was even written he put that in there so that we would know he saw it all he always sees it all so let me say this because you may not understand this Babylon represents the historic I think I have a slide maybe I don't Babylon represents the historic oppressor of God's people Israel was our promised land for God's people. Babylon was Satan's city. And all through the scriptures, that is the way it's portrayed all the way through, even up to Revelation. Israel is for God's people. Babylon is the evil city and the evil people. It is always Babylon attacking God's people. Well, follow this. The word Babel, which is used there in Genesis 11... In the Hebrew, which the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, it occurs over 200 times in the Old Testament. Here's the kicker. It's translated Babylon almost every one of those 200 times. What is happening there is there is a play on words. It's a foreshadowing of the city of Babylon that will be defeated over in Revelation. 
Here's a description that marks her out and marks it out, God does, in Revelations 18, verses 5, 7, and 10. See if this sounds familiar. Her sins are heaped high as heaven. What are we talking about? A tower in Babylon? Her sins are heaped as high as heaven as she glorifies herself and lives in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning since in her heart she says, I sit as queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment will come says God so because God knows everything that's going to happen he's foreshadowing through the tower of Babel how Babylon will be defeated one day at the end that's one way God is glorified through this story of Babel the second one I only have three the second one is this it reveals to us God's disdain for man's pride and his plan, God's plan, to make some men great for his glory. I want you to look at this foil that we see in the scripture. I want you to look at Genesis eleven four first, and then we're going to compare it over against another verse. In Genesis eleven four, this is what it says. They said, this is the people there at the tower, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. So right there, both ways, their pride in making a name for themselves and their insecurity, they're not doing what God said because they don't want to be scattered. Now look, with me at Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. I want you to see this contrast. This is the story about Abraham, and it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country. So again, God's telling Abram, not just telling them back here in Babel to go. They don't go, they cluster. But here he's telling Abram to go. And what does Abram do? He goes. He says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And then look what God says. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So on one point, you have these people that are trying to make a name for themselves. And then you have God's man, Abram. And God is going to make him great. Not for him, per se, that he would be a blessing to the nations. I battle, I battle, and I'm weary from the battle of this form of pride. 
But you know, I find great hope because the disciples, I don't know if you remember the story, but they're walking along and they're with Jesus and one of them says, Jesus, when we get to heaven, could you promise us one thing? Jesus is like, what's that, guys? He says, can my brother be on one side, the left, and me be on the right? And you gotta know, Jesus has gotta be like, you guys are killing me. Is this really about how great you are? And he says, that's not for me to say, that's for the Father. So the disciples struggled with it. And I will say this, it's not just the disciples and it's not just me. It's you. It's every one of you. Because in the fall, when sin entered the world, you know what happened as part of the fall? You and me, we lost our sense of self-worth. We lost our identity. And we spend our lives, if we have intelligence, we use that gift from God to make a name for ourselves. If we have athletic ability, we use that gift from God to make a name for ourselves. If we have beauty, we use beauty. If we're humorous, we use our wit. Whatever it is that you have been given that is a gift from God, what I have found and what I believe the scriptures teach is you will somehow manipulate that to bring yourself and make yourself a name. What happened with Abram? God said, I'll make you great. I'll make you great. You don't have to make yourself great. And let me say this. Some of you may be sitting here right now and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know that I have any real thing that can make myself great. Because there's no obvious intelligence or athletic ability or beauty. You know what Jesus said about that? The poor shall inherit the kingdom of God. You may be poor in talents and gifts. You may not be that beautiful or that athletic or that smart. But you know what that means? God may use that to help you see and receive the greatest treasure in all the world, which is Him. He is the ultimate gift. And he is saying to all of us, my child, my child, rest, rest in my love for you. I am your identity. I am your worth. I am the greatest being in the world. You take pictures with celebrities and you post it all over your, your social media because you want people to know that you met so-and-so you know the creator of the universe. I flung the stars in place. I hold it all together. And you're mine. I chose you. I chose you. You did not choose me. You're my child. <laughs> I want you to see what happened with Peter in John 21. Even the apostle Peter John 21, 21, and 22. 
he sees at the end here, he sees Jesus walk there with he's with Jesus, and he sees John over there. And this is what Peter said. He says, When Peter saw him, he's talking about John. When Peter saw John, the disciple who Jesus loved, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, Peter, what is that to you? You follow me. You see, the sin of comparing is costly to the soul. Our pride pulls us away from God like the Tower of Babel, and it leaves us bitterly empty. A bombed-out soul from the missiles of self-comparison and the empty praise of man. Third, final point. How does the Tower of Babel help us see the glory of God? Here it is. The great splendor. And if you're a minority sitting here right now in America... I hope you get this, and I hope it ministers to you. The great splendor of the diversity of the nations all worshiping Jesus as Savior and Lord has got to be better than one people, one voice, and one ethnicity. God purposely scattered us and made us different, and he thinks it's beautiful. And one day, and I'm going to read it in a moment, we shall all gather before him. And with that diversity and those voices and those colors of skin and those cultures, we shall worship the Lord together. And it will bring him more glory than one people group in one language. Look at Revelations 5, 9, and 10. Revelations 5, 9, and 10. It says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, and from you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth forever. It is interesting, and I'm not going to get into it, but it says they shall reign on earth forever. Where's heaven? I'll leave it right there. Just let you think about it. Revelation 7, 9 and 10. It's the last verse I'll read. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to our Lamb. Here's the question. Do you know this salvation? 
Are you still trying to build a glory or make a name for yourself? Or are you content with your lot in life? His lot for me has fallen in pleasant places. I'm just going to be me to the glory of God. And I'm going to be faithful with what he's given me. With all that he has given and even all that he withheld to the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, for those of us that may be here that have never trusted you in this way, I pray that you would be at work now in their heart, that you would draw them to yourself, that they would love you and follow you all the days of their life, And today could be the beginning of that wonderful truth and journey. And then, Father, for the rest of us, I pray that whenever we go to name drop or to try in any way to make a name for ourselves, that we would quiet ourselves and we would just whisper the prayer to you, I am what I am, but by the grace of God, thank you, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen.